podcast. This episode is sponsored by Still Point Wellness. I love Still Point Wellness. I love the staff. I love their services. They offer a very unique spa experience in Asheville. All of their services are designed to help you unplug from the stresses of today's modern world. And boy, do we all need that. They do it through services like saltwater flotation, also known as sensory deprivation, the world-renowned Esalen massage, cranial psychotherapy, and somatic psychology. They are locally owned and operated by my dear friends, Corey Costanzo and Robin Fan Costanzo. Corey is a somatic therapist and he teaches mindfulness meditation courses. And Robin is an internationally renowned massage instructor who was actually inducted into the Massage World Hall of Fame. Their highly skilled massage staff have each trained under Robin and each earned full certification to practice Esalen Massage. I love Esalen Massage. I know it. I'm an Esalen Massage practitioner. It is a fantastic massage. Together, Koi and Robin have created a world-class experience in understanding the mind-body connection through deep relaxation. So contact them at stillpointwell.com or call 828-348-5372. And don't forget to mention discount code PREPO to get 10% off your first float and first Esalen massage. I really believe that you're going to love the experience. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Hello, everybody. On today's episode, I have a conversation with Steve Torma. Steve is a friend and a colleague, and we have a conversation with the work that both of us do around relationships and communication. And Steve draws a lot of his work from Marshall Rosenberg's Nonviolent Communication, NVC. And that's what we will be talking a lot about is topics that include around self-awareness, distinguishing between one's thoughts and feelings, aspects of radical honesty. And it will give you a good idea of how to communicate in a pretty unique way of being able to really get in touch with what it is that you're feeling, what are your needs, and how to express them. So enjoy the conversation. So I'm excited, Steve. Finally got you here. We've been talking a lot about recording this and and also just spending time together. We're in similar work with working with those with working with people in relationships. And I love that you're out there doing it. I have so many clients that speak so highly of you and mm. the classes that you're giving and the consultations. So it's wonderful that you're out there. And so we get to kind of right now just rap about our, our work and our passion. And I know that communication is such a focus and, and passion of yours. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Well, first of all, I want to say thanks for having me. I'm very excited to learn about your podcast and how much it means to you and to see you come alive when you talk about it. I'm just so glad. It's inspiring to me when people find something that they really love and they go for it and it contributes to the world in such a beautiful way. Yeah. And the offshoot is I get to now focus and spend time with people like you that I maybe not normally have done because of different focus and work. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm very grateful that we share this passion for basically helping people to love themselves, to love their the people in their lives. I, that's one of the main things that I do. That's one of the main things I see that you do. And it's obviously really important to us, and people really want it and need it a lot. And they benefit so much from things like you and I and other people are offering them. So let's wrap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because people are, are suffering out there in mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. way of wanting to be able to have authentic and loving and, and close, compassionate relationships. But yeah. there are some things that get in the way, aspects, yeah. of course, of what they were modeled, what they grew up with, yeah. some core wounds and so forth. When you look at healthy communication, what are some of the components that you that you think of in healthy communication? Yeah. Well, um, as you know, I'm very inspired by uh, Marshall Rosenberg and the whole compassionate communication, also called nonviolent communication model, there's been lots of people who have inspired me to think about this world of communication, but he's probably been the main one. And so it really starts with being able to feel one's own body, to be able to actually know what you're feeling. And I think in my own life, you know, by the time I was 12 years old, I'd basically armored up and wasn't going to feel, you know, I didn't want to cry anymore, didn't want to feel sad anymore, didn't want to be made fun of anymore, so I quit crying. And that was one of the big healing paths of my life is learning to get my feelings back. And when I work with people and teach people and especially guys, that's one of the major stumbling blocks that people have to get over is learn how to actually feel what's going on in their body. Which is different than thinking, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was 21 and my girlfriend in college sitting at the dinner table, uh, we went out to eat, we're sitting at the table and she says, Oh, Steve, what do you feel about such and such? And I said, well, I think. Well, no, no, what do you feel? Well, I think. And it took her like three or four times saying, what do you feel? <laughs> Before I got, oh my God, think, feel, think. And I was a psych major too. So, <laughs> and so I know that this is a, you know, a major thing that people need to learn and then to learn how to make the difference in what's actually going on in my body. Tight, loose, sad, heat, pressure, as opposed to what's going on in my head. Judgments, blame, criticism. Yeah, so learning to make that distinction between thoughts and feelings, to me, is like the starting point for being able to have good communication. And that means that you have to have a really good feeling vocabulary. And I think that's a challenge from a lot of people. They have the spectrum of good, bad, a few words in between, but they yeah. don't have a good emotional vocabulary. Yeah. Um, I give people handouts and emotional vocabulary. I tell them, hey, spend time and just look at a few a day and see if you can even feel those. Mm-hmm. I remember I looked at the word despondent and I wait a second, <laughs> can I even feel what that feels like? <laughs> mm-hmm. What is despondent? Mm-hmm. But I think that that emotional vocabulary is so vital because if I cannot connect with that feeling inside of myself, 
There's no way in the hell when somebody names that feeling that I'm going to have any idea what that means. Yeah, exactly. That aliveness that comes from being able to feel my body and being able to communicate from my, what I'm feeling, in addition to thoughts. The thoughts are obviously important, but to be able to communicate from what's happening in my body, that kind of aliveness is one of the main things that creates connection. Talking about thoughts is not necessarily very connecting, especially in intimate relationships, especially with people who are more feeling-oriented people. You know, I hear it all the time, you know, mostly women, not always, but mostly women complaining about their male partners who aren't communicating with them from their feeling level. And, and there's, this, there's this longing and this emptiness that happens for a partner when they're not getting the feeling experience from their partner. So that's such a big piece of creating intimacy yeah. and meaningful connection. Yeah, I usually hear it in, I don't feel seen, I don't feel heard, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's, I think there's a big difference where reflective listening, if you repeat back what you hear, I think that's very good. It's needed at times for people to actually, to know what that person said. But I think there's an aspect of really understanding what's underneath also those words and the emotions behind those words. A lot of people just say, I hear you, I hear you. And they're not really saying exactly what it is they're hearing. They could be misinterpreting it, yeah. projecting and so forth. So the NVC model I know really makes that clarity of that is so important. Yeah. The perception, right? And the, the importance of connecting the feeling to what we call an NVC, the need, the belief that everything a person ever do, ever does is an attempt to meet a need. And this is an, I really love to share this awareness with people because it's so liberating and it's so empowering that regardless of any, whatever you're doing or whatever your partner is doing or people in your family are doing, regardless of how painful or self-destructive or beautiful, whatever it is, it's trying to meet a need. And feelings exist to give us feedback moment by moment as to whether or not our needs are met. Like, wow, when I first understood that, it rocked my world. Mm. And that is one of the most important things that I want to share with people, starting with feeling awareness, but then to realize that those feelings are there to give us really important information. So like, I want to thrive. Every living thing on this planet wants to thrive. Every human being wants to thrive. And so in every moment of my life, I'm whatever I'm doing, it's my attempt to thrive. And sometimes I'm making choices that aren't really very effective in my life. But just to know that that is why I'm feeling what I'm feeling. I'm feeling sad or some other unpleasant feeling because a need is not being met right now. My partner says something to me, whatever, maybe makes a judgment, says that I'm lazy or stupid or something. And I feel all these feelings. So rather than trying to just turn it back and criticize back to the other person, to be able to say, wow, I'm feeling this strong feeling of sad or scared or hurt right now. And that's because I'm having some really important need going on. So what might that be in that moment, right? Your partner said that maybe you're needing to be understood. Maybe you're needing respect. Maybe you're needing care or intimacy, all right, or understanding. So to be able to know I'm feeling these feelings 
because something's really important to me right now. There's a need that's really important to me. To put that together, feelings with needs that are motivating whatever is going on for me, it's so life-changing. I love to be able to get people in touch with that, to know what it is that their need is, and also to try to decipher, is it a need? Is it a want? Is it a preference? Sometimes many people I hear, they they say, I need, I need, I need. And wait a second, how attached are you to that? Because then it might be a want or might be a a preference. Yeah. But I think you're right. I I know so many people that felt that they never even got the permission to feel their needs. They were squashed. They were shamed. They were criticized for their needs. Yeah. And now they do not even know what they are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, from the compassionate communication perspective, that is the foundation of dysfunctional relationships. That is the foundation for inner turmoil is not knowing what my needs are, not knowing what the needs of my partner are, and instead to be living in my head in the world of judgment and blame and criticism of myself and of the people around me. In NVC, again, that stands for nonviolent communication. In NVC, we say have this amazing saying that I love so much that Marshall Rosenberg, the guy who developed NVC, said, every judgment is a tragic expression of an unmet need. So mm. let's just go into that a little bit because, wow, that was another one of those jaw-dropping things. So my partner says to me, you know, Steve, that was so selfish of you to do that, right? And so I get triggered by that because she's blaming me and calling me names and so forth. But I know if, if when I drop into my deeper awareness, I know that she said that because she's feeling something really strong and she's having a really precious need that's up for her. Maybe she in that moment was wanting support or care or love or understanding. And whatever I did didn't meet that really important need of hers. And so she threw that label at me, made that judgment of me. And so if I can notice that, wow, that judgment is coming from her pain, right? And so then I don't take it so personally. I can say, okay, she's feeling really hurt. Yeah, I know. I've been there too. I can remember having said or felt things like that too. So I can kind of hear that and say, hey, sweetie, you know, it sounds like you're feeling really frustrated right now. Like you really need some connection or support. Is that what's going on? Mm. And boy, that diffuses things so quickly rather than me responding with, you know, some kind of comeback that just escalates the pain. So actually you're being very empathetic yeah. in that aspect of, of listening and trying to find underneath there that there is a need, right. that there's a need and you don't have to take it so so personally. Right. That's a lot of work for people to, to recognize that they've got to practice that over and over and over again, that rise of the trigger when they feel attacked to be able to pause and step back and then be curious of, wait a second, is there a need? Yes. How do you talk or train people through that? Well, very early on in my curriculum, I have a four-level curriculum that I work with people, we do a lot of focus on paying attention to the body because there's this theory that, that I have that there's only three things that a human being can pay attention to. Everything you've ever noticed your entire life, 
is one of these three things. Something outside of me, tree, chair, my partner, clouds, whatever. Feelings inside my body, tight, loose, happy, sad, and thoughts. And thoughts, Marshall Rosenberg divided into what he called life alienating and life serving thoughts. So basically, three things you can pay attention to things outside of me, my feelings, my bodily sensations, and thoughts. And the mind is like a flashlight. So I got this image. I love this image. I got this image from Rick Hansen. And so just like a flashlight that I'm holding in my hand, I can shine this flashlight wherever I want to shine this flashlight. I'm in charge of where this flashlight is, is shined. And so it is with my attention, what I pay attention to. And so we start learning early on how to keep my flashlight shining on my body, on the sensations in my body, and learn to stay connected to that. It's a discipline. It's an art. It's a mindfulness practice. But it's liberation. It is the path to liberation. It's the starting point of the path to liberation is to keep my attention on my body, not let my attention drift into the thoughts of judgment and blame and so forth. So that's the practice. Mm. So we start early on over and over and over again. Like you and I were talking about sports earlier and we like any, any sport you play, it's repetitive uh, practice over and over again. You don't, if you, you, you got to practice, you practice and you get good at it. You, you don't, don't wait practice. to game time. You don't wait to only game time, right? <laughs> you got to practice over and over. So when there's 50,000 people screaming and going, you know exactly what to do. Yeah. And I think that's very similar because I talk about visualization with people about practicing a new way to respond over and over. So when game time comes, which is the conflict and the trigger that they will practice being able to know what to do over and over and over. It's yeah. reprogramming, right? Basically. Yes. yes. And that. Yeah. And I love the, you know, neuroscience these days is really helping us to be aware of how changeable our brains actually are. You know, when you and I were going to college, it was actually the theory was not this well understood. It was, and as we understand the brain more, we know that we are way more changeable than we ever thought. And mm-hmm. the fancy word for our listeners, in case they haven't ever heard this, is is self-directed neuroplasticity. That's the fifty cent word, mm-hmm. which means the ability of the of us to change our brains and change our minds. So we are very changeable, and that's really good news because whatever my habits are that I have right now, they can change. They were learned and they can be unlearned and learn something different. And that's really a really important thing for people to to be aware of. Like we can change. And those body, the focusing on the body sensation is so key. I heard this expression by Gay and Kathleen Hendricks that they said, the body sensations are the microscopic truth. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I went to uh, Tassajara for a practice period of, of doing some meditation when I was living at Esalen, and it was the first time I ever meditated. And I remember going into a long session or whatever, you know, 13 hours here, you know, 50 minutes on, 50 minutes off. For the first 15 minutes, I remember how painful my body felt. And I was thinking about the pain that I couldn't keep going and so forth. And then I remember what one of the lay priests said, and they said, feel the sensation. And when I started being curious about the sensation, it was just heat. It felt like a rubber band. The label went away. Pain went away. 
But as soon as I felt, I'm like, ooh, the pain is gone. The pain came back because I still labeled pain gone. And I think that's some of perhaps what, what we're speaking to of getting curious of what the body's doing and not label fear, agitation, but feel what is, what is the sensation of that word. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I was listening to Ken Wilber recently, and he was commenting that suffering is pain plus contraction. And I heard in another source, it was similar. Suffering is pain plus constriction. Mm. And so when I think about it and put it into my words, I think it's like suffering is pain and telling myself this is bad. Mm. Pain and telling myself this shouldn't be happening. Pain and telling myself there's something wrong here. And you and I and anybody that's ever played sports and lots of other things too, but sports is something that I'm familiar with and you're familiar with. It can be very painful. I mean, some of the, some of the most painful moments of my life have been playing football (laughs) with basketball, you know, getting beat up and they were the most ecstatic moments of my life. So pain is not suffering, right? That's another huge awareness. So Exactly what you just said. And what I was saying earlier is like being able to just feel the sensation. Oh, that's hot. Oh, that's tight. Oh, that's cold. Oh, that's whatever. Rather than that's bad. This feels bad. This shouldn't be happening, et cetera. So, because doesn't that pause when we feel what's going on in our body actually f- pauses the thinking process to not get caught up in that so that when we check back in of more of what it is that we're feeling that we want to verbalize, then it comes from a different place. So what do you do when people start to get trained in the awareness of what's going on in their body? Do you then have them speak to what's going on in their body to the other person, or is it just an aspect that they first become aware? Well, in the NVC model, feelings is only one of four major parts that we are talking about when we're having a, a conversation with another person. If we're working out a conflict, feelings is only one of four parts. After people learn how to notice what's going on in their body, then the next thing is to connect it to the need. Like, I'm feeling sad because I'm really needing whatever, understanding Mm -hmm. or something. And one of the tricky parts, it's a very common thing for people to struggle with, is what we call in NVC the non-feeling words. Which would be like? I feel attacked. Mm. I feel abandoned. Uh, I feel disrespected. Now, these are ways that we've all been taught to, to think and to communicate. But when you look more deeply at us, I'll go back to the model that I talked about earlier. There's only three things that you can pay attention to. There's, everything is divided. You know, everything that you've ever noticed is one of these three areas. Something outside of me, something feeling in my body, and a thought. And so if I'm having a conflict with my partner, Right, and she says in a in a loud voice, "You're just so mean and stupid," or something like that. We're taught to think that that's called being attacked. That's an attack, and so we say to her, "Hey, I'm feeling attacked right now." But if you step back and look at what those words are actually saying, attack is of something that happens outside of me. Right, it's like when saying, "I feel like I got run over by a truck." I didn't get run over by a truck, but I'm feeling bad. And when I say that, then you know that I'm feeling bad. Something external is exerting something on me. Yeah. Or or it's an assessment of what's happening in my environment, Mm. a description of something in my environment. So an attack is something that is happening 
outside of me. And so when we confuse a feeling, I'm feeling scared, hurt, I'm feeling a tightness in my chest, I'm feeling heat in my face. Those are the actual physical sensations and emotions that I'm feeling. But I haven't been taught how to say or notice or have that vocabulary. Instead, I've been taught to say, I feel attacked. So basically, I'm trying to make her believe my story about what just happened. And so most people don't want to believe you know, other people's story. They want to come to their own conclusion about what's going on. And so she has a different and so if she uses a non-feeling word, she might then say, well, I feel disrespected by what you did. And that's the same thing. Disrespect is not a feeling. If you look in your body, there's, there's nothing in there called disrespect. There's heat, there's tension, there's, there's fear. So, but there's actually, that's not something going on in my body. That's what my mind is telling me that this other person just did. They did whatever. Or I feel abandoned. Right? So I'm talking to you, you're my partner, and we're having a conversation, it gets heated, and you walk out the door. Okay, So I grew up hearing people call that being abandoned. And so I say, I feel so abandoned as you're walking out the door. I feel so abandoned. And that's confusing the actual feeling in that moment. I'm probably feeling scared. I'm probably feeling lonely, hurt. And so if I could learn to say that, Hey, I'm really feeling sad and lonely and scared right now. I'm really needing some understanding and connection. That's what's really going on for me, as opposed to saying, I feel abandoned, because then you're basically going to re react to that and it's going to make everything worse. So the non-feeling words and translating non-feeling words into actual feelings and needs is one of the more powerful of the skills that we learn in basic NVC. So when people then get more focused on the feeling that they're feeling, the feeling words and non-feeling words, is it positive then for them to also name what's not being met? Yeah, exactly. You, you, you connect that feeling word to the unmet need that's going on in that moment. And that creates connection between people. So even in a heated moment, that's very likely going to create a quality of connection between the two of you that if you just, you know, use judgments and blame and criticism and non-feeling words creates more separation. And the other thing that it does, this is really an amazing thing, is that when I go up into my head and I say these labels and so forth, you're abandoning me, you're abusing me, you did it wrong and you're so forth, all that stuff. I'm actually re-triggering my body, right? Because that thought then just re-stimulates me to have tension mm -hmm. in my body. As opposed to if I put my attention on my physical sensations, there's this amazing phenomenon in, in somatic psychology that they talk about how putting the attention on my body facilitates the movement of the energy through my body. Because right? the emotions and is just energy that's going through our body, you know. And as humans and as animals, we're highly our, our bodies are highly skilled at being able to move energy through them. Right? And so we want to use language and use thoughts, this very beautiful advanced human concepts that we have, to help our animal body move through its stress rather than continuing to re-trigger ourselves 
by these thoughts that create so much suffering, but actually put our attention on our body. So if my chest is tight, I feel, put my attention on the chest. And you can also do certain things, uh, movements and so forth that can help move the energy, you know, like shaking my body or doing some push-ups or dancing around the room or, you know, hitting the pillow. It helped to move the energy out shaking of Shaking is a wonderful thing shaking to do. Is, yeah. I'm a huge fan right. of shaking. Exactly. Because that's what, of course, animals exactly. do when they shake off whatever it is that they're experiencing. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's so important to think about that aspect of that. The emotions are in the body. They're not floating out in the ethers. So when we acknowledge the emotion, especially ourselves when we acknowledge it what we are feeling it can move yeah and how it's going to move it's just going to be the energy is just going to move for instance i know when i look at somebody and i perceive that they're sad and i just name i'm looking at you and i'm thinking that maybe you're sad most of the time they'll well up in a tear they just can permission to feel their feelings they've acknowledged it and that's movement the tear is the movement yes. of that energy yes yeah yeah, so to understand that as the new physics has been teaching us for, you know, 100 years now, everything is energy, right? And so that means everything is in movement at all times. So how can I help facilitate the flow of this movement through my body, right? That's, that's a beautiful way to look at things. How do you work with people that have a lot of expression of anger? You know, there's a lot of blame, there's a lot of... Uh, the troll, there's just, it's spooting out and they're thinking that they're releasing energy. Mm-hmm. They're obviously doing it onto somebody, but some of the entitlement in some way of, I, this is how I feel mm-hmm. and I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Well, very often when people are really stuck in a lot of anger cycles, they're actually not feeling their body. They're actually up in their thoughts. I'm really angry. You're such a selfish this, and you did this, and you did that. They're not really feeling their body, right? And so 101, what is actually, what are you feeling in your body? And so bringing them back down to their body. And in NVC, Marshall made this really amazing realization. He said, there's these four feelings that human beings have. Anger, depression, shame, and guilt that are actually primarily caused by thoughts, right? All the other feelings are connected to whether or not a need is being met. So feelings tell us moment by moment whether need is being met or not. However, these four actually come from our thoughts. And I know that this varies, you know, uh, with other, or this um, is different from other psychological theories, but I have found it very credible. And so the thoughts that cause anger are thoughts of should or should not. So if my partner does something and I'm thinking she should not do that, then that's where the anger comes from. Or a lot of anger is toward ourselves. Damn it. What an idiot. How could I have been so stupid? I shouldn't have. And there it is. So whenever someone is having a lot lot of anger, not even a lot, any anger, there's this question to ask yourself, what thought am I having that's behind this anger? And it's one of the four gateway feelings, as I said, 
it's a gateway they call gateway because it's on the surface and there are the deeper feelings and the deeper needs going on beneath it. So classic example, me and my partner having a conflict, it starts to escalate. And, you know, we say to each other, well, you know, well, damn it, I don't give a shit about you anyhow, or, you know, I don't care about you. I don't care about our relationship. And, and then we walk away or whatever. When the exact opposite is the truth. Right. I care. <laughs> I care so, so much. much. <laughs> I'm so hurt. I'm so frustrated. I'm so lonely or whatever the feelings are. I'm so wanting connection and understanding and empathy. That's what's really going on. But for whatever reason, because of my conditioning or whatever, I can't access that. And instead I go up into my anger. And so what we do when someone is, has, has anger like that, first of all, we want them to be able to express it because there's nothing wrong with being angry. Of course, you'll be able to express the anger so you can kind of get that heat and pressure out of you and then be able to say, okay, when you look beneath the anger, what other, you notice anything else that you're feeling? And very often, you know, almost all the time, once they get to be able to express that anger and then actually drop into their body, they say, yeah, I'm really scared or yeah, I'm really hurt. Cool. So wait, where do you feel that scared? Where do you feel that hurt in your body? And then they connect to that. And then I say, well, what is it you think you really want right now? What do you think you really need right now? And they'll say, I just, you know, I just need him to understand me. Like, yeah, you're feeling really scared and hurt. You really need understanding. Boom. And there they are now connected to themselves in a deeper way that when they were swirling around in their anger, they couldn't get to that. Yeah. And it seems also that when you talked about contraction in the body to me anger resides in contraction when i clench my hands and my fist i can feel angry but if my body's relaxed anger doesn't reside in it mm -hmm. so i'm imagining that when people access the sadness or the disappointment the body's more soft yeah it's not contracted Right. So there's another form that's taking place because I know when I get a wonderful massage, what usually comes up, a nice little tear of mm -hmm. sadness. My body starts to relax. It's unwinding. Mm -hmm. Some of the things that I push down are now coming to the surface. And usually for me, it's a, I call it a sweet sadness that starts to show up mm -hmm. that I need to feel. Mm -hmm. But it's when my body's relaxed as opposed to when it's, when it's contracted with the anger. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Marshall had a very similar term. He called it sweet pain mm. that we can feel oftentimes a, yeah. a pain that's actually connected to very important needs. And then other people that witness that they can move towards that person yeah. and that, right? Because we all feel that we all have empathy for that. However, sometimes I know if somebody is feeling too much shame, they have a hard time witnessing it yes. because they take that pain because they don't have the compassion. They can't take the responsibility or accountability when they're feeling that much shame. Yes. Right. Well, shame is one of the other four gateway feelings, anger, depression, shame, and guilt. And so, you know, as you're working with couples and I'm working with couples or families, there's been a lot of things that have been said and done between people that have, you know, stimulated a lot of pain between people. And so when they come and sit down with us and then they start talking about these things, right? So if you drop beneath, one person drops beneath the anger, starts getting connected to their actual feelings and they connect it to their needs and they're talking about this, 
then the other person who may have been the one who said or did most likely and the one who said or did things that stimulated this pain, they then start having thoughts of, oh my God, what's wrong with me? How could I have done that? Right? And that is the thought that causes shame in the NBC model. It's the thought there's something wrong with me. Right. That's where shame Not comes my behavior, from. but something wrong with me, That's right. my personhood. That's right. And guilt is, I did something wrong. All right. So guilt, I did something wrong. Shame, there's something wrong with me. Right. And so that's the harder one to right because the guilt guilt people can springboard off of that behavior to change the behavior because they know it's about the behavior i was talking with andy we did a podcast around men's work and i remember him saying that he had this thought i fucked up but i'm not a fuck up Mm -hmm. and that that's Mm -hmm. beautiful to not get caught into the aspect of that shame because again i just experienced when people are in that shame feel so painful they cannot take accountability and responsibility because if they start looking at their behavior yeah they'll just go to that place of I'm oh my bad, god i'm flawed oh I'm yeah horrible. yeah yeah i i don't know about you people but i grew up with so much shame and guilt you know it was traditional catholic family and mm. was all about good and bad and right and wrong and rules and sin and hell and <laughs> da 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 and so it's been a major part of my life's work has been transforming my consciousness and around these issues and part of why i'm so um, in love with nbc as a tool of, of healing is because one of the foundational beliefs of nbc is that everything a person ever does is an attempt to meet a need i mentioned this a little while ago so like i just really want to just let people sink into that thought for a moment like everything i've ever done is an attempt to meet a need and when I'm talking to people, when I'm introducing this concept, I ask them to like, look, look around at nature. Look at that tree out there. All day long, that tree is like taking in carbon dioxide and taking up things, you know, taking up minerals and water and giving off oxygen. Like everything that it's doing is an attempt to thrive, to flourish, right? In NVC language, you call that need. So everything in nature wants to thrive. I think we can all pretty much agree with that. And so everything that that animal or plant is doing is in its attempt to thrive. And we're part of nature. So the logical conclusion is everything that I'm doing is an attempt to thrive. Mm. Now, unfortunately, growing up in a culture, you know, that doesn't teach us how to feel our feelings and needs and teaches us to judge and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to make choices that don't meet our needs very well and don't meet other people's needs. But the inner dynamic is still the same. I'm trying to meet my needs, right? So when my partner, you know, slams the door in my face, she's actually trying to meet a need. Or when I swear back at her, I'm trying to meet a need. So if it's true, as we believe in NBC, that everything we do is an attempt to meet a need, then whatever I have done that didn't meet my needs or didn't meet my partner's needs was done out of my lack of awareness. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It means I was unskillful and unaware, right? And so that has been such a huge relief for me and so many people that I work with to help heal the shame so back in the 80s, you may probably remember the John Bradshaw book, Healing the mm-hmm. Shame That Binds You. I remember reading that book. Like, oh, my God. 
I have so much shame that I need to heal. Mm. And finding NVC and realizing, wow. And the other thing that's incredibly powerful is this is not only true for me, that everything that I did, even all these tragic things was an attempt at me to need the people who did shit toward me. My father, you know, the beating yeah. and the yelling and the this and the that, all those painful things. It doesn't make it go away, but it actually changes the way that I see it and mm. change the way that, that I process it inside of me. So no longer is like, why did that son of a bitch do all that awful shit to me? It's like I now have empathy and understanding and I still have to work on my, because you, he, my because, healing and growth. Because you had that started with that empathy and understanding for yourself yes right? yes to let go of that that shame that's yeah. on you so that you can start to also have empathy for others yeah so yeah. i just really want to mm. just offer this to your listeners mm. to consider that everything that you've ever done or anyone has ever done was an attempt to meet a need and some of it yes was really tragic yeah. And so can we have, like the Buddha says, you know, hold yourself as a mother holds her child. Can we hold ourselves in compassion? Can we hold the people around us in compassion? Now, some people think when they hear that, that that means you're supposed to tolerate whatever people do. It's like, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with tolerating it. Right. You still want to have boundaries. You still want to have clear communication. You still want to have clear requests. Your yes is a yes. Your no is a no. All that really important assertive relationship kind of stuff. But it it makes a world of difference whether you're seeing your partner through the eyes of blame and judgment, whether you're seeing them through the eyes of compassion. And when you see each other through the eyes of compassion, then what becomes possible is so much richer and fuller. That's the key right there. When both people are able to do it, that's the aspect of when individuals start to thrive together. In a relationship. Yeah. And I think one of the challenging things that, that I know that people have is when both of them are trying to exert their needs at the same time, it kind of blinds one from being able to, I call it, when one partner is on stage, give them the stage. <laughs> Two people on there is way too crowded. <laughs> so that's that part of bringing yeah. in, like you said, those other skills of being able to sit back and, and have those listening skills and vi- validate and acknowledge, knowing that. I'm going to get my turn, but not right now because mm-hmm. my partner does not have the availability, the space at all to hear what my needs are. Mm-hmm. Can I go ahead and, and hear what their yeah. needs are first? And and a good thriving couple relationship, one of them just does it. They don't yeah. check the list of I did it the last six times. It's your turn Yeah, because that's the compassionate part that comes in. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in the NVC model, we're very explicitly tracking on the flow of what we call honesty and empathy, honesty and empathy. And so it's, it's called, we call it actually the NBC dance. Mm. We're always, we're always in this dance of I'm sharing honestly what my feelings and needs and requests are. And you're receiving me. That's the empathy part. You're connecting to my feelings and needs. And then it's kind of like I hand the ball to you and you share your what's going on for you and your feelings and your needs and you're making requests. And we go back and forth. And just like you say, just tracking this flow back and forth of, of uh, honesty and empathy and, and get that dance going. And then beautiful things can happen. It's that, that dance back and forth. I love just doing with a couple when one just person says, 
I feel and they say a feeling word. And when the next person said, when I hear you say you feel, I feel. And when they just go back and forth just using that, whatever time frame, sometimes it's fast, sometimes it takes more minutes, they end up always feeling in connection at the end. Yes. You know? It's amazing just that simplistic aspect of allowing them to feel what's coming up in the moment, not hold on based on another feeling what comes up for them. Yeah. Right, because nature designed us to want to come back to what Rick Hansen calls calm, content, and connected. Mm. We're designed, nature does not want us to live in stress because it's very hard on our bodies to live in stress. So we're actually designed to come back to that resting state, that natural resting state, if we know how to work with the flow of our emotions, which means staying out of judgment, blame, criticism, and all that, staying connected to my body, speaking my feelings and needs, receiving empathy from the other person. And as soon as we get into that dance, then our bodies designed to come back down toward calm, content, and connected. Mm, and what a good feeling that is, isn't it? Oh my God. <laughs> Relief, right? <If> yeah. You, <laughs> Relief and then openness yeah. and connection. Yeah. I mean, one of my all time favorite quotes is from Harvey Jackins, who developed reevaluation counseling. It's the one that's really simple but so powerful. He says, Love is the way that human beings naturally feel about each other unless there's something in the way. So if we can remember that, oh, I'm feeling, you know, I'm I'm having this difficult feeling, I'm having this judgment or whatever, okay, there's something in the way. Me and my partner are feeling this uh, thing going on right now. What's in the way? And how can I get in touch with my body? And how can she or he get in touch with their body in order to come to each other from that place of talking about feelings and needs and making requests? Mm. I don't want to wrap up, but I'm looking at some of that aspect <laughs> of something's getting in the way and it's time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was wonderful, man. I really enjoyed this conversation and it can go into so many different places. So I'm looking forward to us going deeper in this and other conversations. I look forward to our next conversation too, Preeto. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed professional counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier at podcraft.us.